Hello and welcome. I am Caleb Ferris. I'm Candy Parker. And I'm Greg Osborne. And this is Action Surge, a podcast where hungover heroes and depressed demons alike can listen to us sages give shitty opinions on all things D&D. Each week we will discuss different aspects of D&D from character creation and world development to the ridiculous antics we have gotten away with in our own campaigns. Hello and welcome back to Action Surge. Today we are going to talk about homebrew, uh, which is a pretty over-the-top and kind of generic term, but uh, we're going we're to talk about all the aspects or many of the aspects of homebrew. We're gonna hone it in. We're gonna, <laughs> or we're gonna try. We're gonna, we're gonna home it in. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> okay. Um, so yeah, but first of all, you know what what is homebrew? It, I mean, I think there are different definitions of it. So mm-hmm. uh, we'll start candy. What what do you think? Um, well, it is when you um, buy a beer kit and then cook it. That's cook, very you, you cook it. You, you cook you the beer. Stir it and you, <laughs> Fermented at home. That's so. no, Don't drink home. candies homebrew. Yeah. <laughs> I wouldn't. Uh, so. Oh, geez. <laughs> no, it's, it's definitely like you are making your own stuff up basically for your own game. So you're not using stuff that's like, um, you know, pre-published material or like a module, as they say, like things that have been published adventures. Like you're not, you're not doing Curse of Strahd or you're not doing Ghost of Saltmarsh. You're doing... Your own game. That right. Has we're, we're doing Candy World. Candy World. That's Candy right. Land. Wow. Oh. I hope Hasbro doesn't sue us. <laughs> For mentioning their game. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yes. I don't, I don't think that's how that works. The, but free, we'll... the free promo. Go buy Candy Land at your local game store. <laughs> yeah. or, or don't. It's okay. Yeah, it's okay. I don't know. I'm just an anxious guy. <laughs> <laughs> Do you want me to cut it out in post? Uh, sure. You can if you want to. Or you no, can. no, no, don't. I'm not going to. Don't do that. <laughs> okay, Caleb, uh, what do you think about homebrew? Okay, uh, what do I think about homebrew? Or what do you or? think? What do you think? What, what, What's how your you define? A, home, you a homebrew is essentially you making anything up for a game that isn't directly published, essentially. Is you just making it up on the spot or simply, simply taking something that is published and twisting it to meet a funner or better or simply just a different version of what you want to play mm-hmm. um you could take curse of strahd make strahd actually steve so it's the curse of steve and then instead of barovia it's jerovia and you know it's it's sunshine and lollipops every day but it's still dark it's it's, <laughs> it's generic D. <D&D>. Right. <laughs> it's off brand yeah off, off brand <laughs> it's curse of strahd it's like we have curse of strahd at home curse of strahd at home steve it's curse of steve <laughs> Damn it. <laughs> I would say homebrew is, is any type of deviation from written materials, whether that's uh, uh, modules and adventures or even rules as written. Um, many tables do homebrew and don't really even think about it as homebrew. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, you know, that's just, it, it boils down to sometimes preference. Uh, have, but, you ever, have you ever run a module? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Are those? Or do you like usually homebrew stuff whenever you do a module, or do you usually just do it as written? You know, it depends for for me. Like when my kids were just starting D anD D, we ran Lost Mine of Delver, Which, by the way, if if you're starting D anD D, that is a great adventure. Rules as written. Mm-hmm. It touches on a lot of the mechanics that first through third level characters you're going to need mm-hmm. you know so there's a sneak aspect there's a fine traps aspect there mm-hmm. is combat and magic and detect magic and you know uh, just a lot of things that characters can do will they all do it no of course not you know every table is different but but the the potential is there and it's really well covered in lost minds um but then again there's some campaigns that are just not very good and and that i i would change out i was i was it's, it's funny how it's like oh let's wait it in but i was really just counting down the minutes until we started until we started shitting on something <laughs> <laughs> hey we're there yeah until we're just like yeah you know and you know some of them are just shit we hate them <laughs> right under, i, I under feel minutes. like i feel like modules are a good way to like 
like what your DM whistle though. Like if you're wanting to start DMing or something, like that's a really good way to like learn how to how to be a game master. I've never done it. I've never run a module, but I think it would be really fun too. Honestly, yeah, no, uh, I mean, it's a lot less work for the DM. And, and here's the thing too: is that as much as we're going to like straight poop on some of these uh, some of these modules, some of these that have come out from like Wizards of the Coast and other uh, publishing companies are actually pretty sick, right? Mm-hmm. Like, there's a reason why you know Dungeons of the Mad Mage is like you say, it and people's like hair stands on the back of their neck. Mm-hmm. They're just like, oh yeah, huh? or Tomb of Annihilation. It's just one of those things where it's like, where it's like, I want to run it just because I, I'm a masochist. I don't know. <laughs> just like yeah. you, you, and you have players that are just like, yeah, put me through it, daddy. <laughs> right, right. Yeah. I mean, I think that there's something to using the published materials and modules and, and also like, um, you know, taking what you want from them and leaving the rest, you know, that they have encounters in there. Good to use, you know, right ready to go so you know right and it's it, again it's just great for beginning players to just beginning go players, to just be like, uh, um uh i'm gonna instead of having to oh i'm gonna create my own whole world oh geez um you know they can just stick to the writers of Wizards of the coast and their brilliant ideas yeah you know i think i think some of the some of the anxiety that new dms and even experienced DMs have with homebrew is that fear of, of just breaking the rules mm-hmm. to not, not, not in that you're breaking the rules and that's bad, but just that whatever change you make is just game breaking it. The people that have put together 5e have worked very hard to make kind of this, some would say blandly mm-hmm. even leveling experience so that you don't have one character at level three it's like you know hi i'm gary i'm a goblin fighter and you know, i can do you know i can attack and make 14 points of damage you know it's my character is draven Darkhold, and i can do 483 hit points of damage at third level yeah and i have 72 armor class yeah right. it's like you know it, it's the balance thing that comes oh, with yeah, you absolutely. know and that is a constant anxiety for whenever you're just like this this rule or this campaign is missing something but there is no guidance from you know which is the coast or or other publishing companies of how do i approach this yeah and and one of those uh we'll just probably bring up right now is like a perfect example of a homebrew that i've seen in almost every campaign i've been in almost every single one i've been in and run Drinking a magic potion is a bonus action. Yeah. It rules as written, that is an action. By all means, you are breaking the rules, you need to go to DM jail if yeah. you if you <laughs> if you mess with the action economy in that way. But just so many people drinking a po- a potion as an action is especially a healing potion, is insane. Yeah. Yeah, but we we also have to keep in mind that we love Wizards of the Coast. We do. I think they're great. They put out great material. They're also a business. So, you know, creating modules for people to run is a way for them to make money. And, yeah, sure, absolutely. Um, that is, that is a important aspect of like keeping their business running is that once you have the player's handbook and the DM's guide that you don't really even need, you're good to go pretty much. And as far as like them continually making money, a lot of that comes with these published materials. And I think it's, you know, it's like not every, not everything's going to be good, or not ever, all of the aspects of those modules are going to be good. I don't know if everybody aspires to a life where all they do is sit around and play Dungeons and Dragons all the time. I mean, maybe that's just um, unlike just of me. us. Maybe that's <laughs> right. just me or us. But but don't look at my calendar. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, I I think that's you know that that's great. But when you're doing that, especially back in the my college days when I was running four campaigns at a time, mm-hmm. you know, you would just kind of empty out that imagination tank. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's, it, it can be very difficult sometimes to be always imaginative, always on, you know, on call mm-hmm. to, to do that, especially if you're, you're running multiple games. Um, and so sometimes it's nice to say, you know, I'm just going to, let my imagination take a breather here and I'm going to run this pre-made campaign. I don't yeah. have to think about it. I don't have to 
put anything together. Yeah. I don't yeah. have to, I don't have to, I don't have to spend my afternoon before balancing an encounter. It's, it's yeah. there. Yeah. And, and here's the thing, guys, we've also talked about, you know, the meta aspect of world building and all that. And this, this ties in pretty well with that in that homebrewing is that, you know, tons of people do it and all that. It's, I want to say it, even though almost everybody does it, it isn't for everyone because it is very much, you know, Saruman saying, you've elected the way of pain. (laughs) 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 Um, Yeah. You know, it's just like, you have to come up with all these different rules, different worlds, people, cultures, economics. And um, some people love that. But yeah, I I love that. I really enjoy doing that. But But not everybody does. It's hard. It's hard. It takes so much time. And especially, I don't know, where we are in D&D and especially the D&D community that's on the internet and TikTok and Twitter and stuff. I think that there's a really high expectation for homebrewing. That it's a lot of people expect really really cool homebrews really and like and dms hold themselves really high and, and try to create these homebrew worlds but like i don't know um, i th- yeah homebrew worlds. what part of that matt mercer effect which yeah you know i lo- i love matt mercer i think everybody does he's mm-hmm. a great dm but, i mean just look know, at that hair i have yeah. beautiful designs you get lost in size yeah yeah um but the you know seriously the the i think one of the least talked about the most important things that Matt Mercer has going for him, aside from his amazing homebrew imagination, is his communication skills. Yeah. Yeah. You know, he he has he has that very difficult to learn ability to when your characters, when your players are riffing and moving the story along, to just sit there and shut the hell up mm-hmm. until there's a pause. And while they're doing that, you're thinking, okay, I'm listening to what they're saying. Where can I, where can I pick up the story from wherever they, oh, they've moved. Okay. Well now, now where can I pick up the story from? Oh, they moved again. Okay, cool. Where can I pick up the story from there? They stopped. Okay. Let's pick up the story. Yeah. And, and then interjecting and moving the story. And I think that especially just, I mean, at production value, that is so hard to replicate because Matt has creative partners and, you know, people that help him. And I think that that creates such a high standard for players and DMs at the, just the average DM. And I think that there is a high standard that, that regardless of, you know, either if it's critical role or, or whatever it is that they're performing for an audience and that like, you know, whenever you're playing at home, you know, you don't have, you know, a thousand haters on the internet telling you that, you know, to go to hell because you're, because your you're, because you're, sucks or because you're taking potions as an action. Yeah. <laughs> and, and like, you don't have to, you don't have to contend with that. So I think that there's a high standard for, for people that, you know, for like critical role. And I think that at home DMs, like sometimes and and players hold themselves to that standard when you don't need to, you know. Oh, absolutely. Well, and this isn't us either being like, "Oh, this is excellent." Don't hold yourself to that standard. It's simply, simply. I don't know if I would want to play in a campaign like Critical Role. Yeah, you know, I mean, it's, it's a lot it's, of pressure. It's one of those things where it's like you have a lot more. I would. <laughs> well, Critical Role. If you're well, looking for a, here, here, an eight, no. Here's what I'm saying. I would love to be in Critical Role, to guest on Critical Role, to be a permanent PC in Critical Role, but it's not the game I would create. Yeah. If that makes sense, sure. And that's the beautiful thing about D and D is that it is very. And here's the thing: Wizards of the Coast isn't saying, you know, oh, don't homebrew. That's illegal. You know, go to D and D jail. They're 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 completely aware and know and love the fact that people create their own stuff, mm-hmm. and they're just here to help facilitate that. And that goes from anywhere from from items to how you mess with the action economy to the entire world and more. Right. So, so do you have an internal rule that you try to keep in mind when you're homebrewing to keep from breaking the game? Um, you gotta. It's all about balance in that. If you do one thing that gives your players an edge or gives the world an edge, you got to find a way that isn't going to be defeating either to yourself, to your world, or to your players. Yeah. If that makes any kind of sense. Well, you know, also, to like describe. if you're if you're going to apply a rule a rule to your players, you have to apply it to yourself. Yeah, one million to percent. your to your like in combat. If you're like if there's like an invisibility issue or something, it's like or you know if you homebrewed like 
uh, an enemy or something based off of like a layer condition or something that 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 thing also has to apply to yourself. So you can't give yourself an advantage from a homebrew. And I think that that's why like rules as written can be good sometimes, or I mean, is good. I mean, it's the great equalizer. Yeah. Because you know, it it keeps the power equal. Yeah. I mean, as, as Brindley Mulligan says, you know, I'm a referee when it comes to rules. Like he'll, he'll be like, Oh, you want to do that? Hell yeah. Go ahead and roll it. Even though it's like, Oh, that's nowhere in the book. He's like, but he's like, when it comes down to combat, I'm I'm the referee, and you are two teams playing against each other. The rule of cool, yeah, as well. Oh, yeah, <laughs> the absolutely. rule of cool, and it's just and it, there is a thing where it's like it's absolutely right in that you can trust in the equalization of the rules mm-hmm. at a certain point. And you know Mozart even even he, Mozart was known for breaking rules, yet he himself believed one million percent in that freedom comes within a confined limit. Mm-hmm. If, if you go completely out outside of that limit you aren't exactly doing anything good, right? Yeah. What are some rules that you have homebrewed or other things that you've homebrewed? Well, we mentioned the bonus action potion taking, which is, you It's know, pretty common I've practice, I think. never met anyone who was just like, rada rada, no, rada rada. But um, uh, honestly, it's the one of my favorites is whenever you use the feature called action surge uh, with, a, with a fighter to cast another spell. I believe that is it's it's sick. You could do whatever you want to do with an action, and you just say action charge, fireball again, right? Mm-hmm. And no, it's one of those cool things. And I know that it messes with the fact that it's not very balanced when it comes to sorcerers because then it's like, oh, I should be able to use my meta magic to do that. But it's also like, if you did that, you know, it would need to take a lot of meta. And I know some people that, that do allow that that you can use your meta magic, but just a higher amount to cast another spell. Mm-hmm. And this comes from a rule for those who aren't very familiar with D&D that you cannot cast two leveled spells in a turn. You can cast a a cantrip and a spell if the spell's a bonus action. Yeah. Yeah, but but you even if you are a sorcerer that's that rule still applies. Even if you're using meta magic, which is something that I had to contend with multiple times playing my sorcerer is that yeah. and a lot of the reason why I multiclassed is because you can't cast uh two spells in the same turn and i'm like yeah. i have meta magic i should be able to do whatever the one the whatever the heck i whatever the the, the heck <laughs> i want <laughs> the ones i want yeah <laughs> the heck i want with my magic and and that's, Deep, drab, yeah. blip, blip. well that's something that i really i don't really get that that rule i don't it doesn't make sense because it's like like you have as a for example like uh a cleric it's like you have a set number, any any class that has spells, you have a set number of spell slots. So regardless of whether or not I want to do um, a guiding bolt and a like another like a like a healing spell or something like that, it's like I have only I only have ten spell slots or whatever. It's like why can't I use all of the ones in my turn that I can? And I and like I don't know. And I think and I think I think also what you're what you're really getting on to is that is it. Preface this with: We know that spellcasters can be earth bending with their spells, and the fact that there is a limit on how many spells you can cast in a turn is to keep you from quite literally breaking the game with two AOE spells in one. Right. But so the, I, I think I think to, to answer the question, why and this is this is my take on it is it's a it's a balancing effect with action surge. The the best you you can have is one turn where you do two spells at the same time. Mm-hmm. If you limit that, if you if you say, well, with meta magic, quick spell, you can cast two leveled spells at the same time. Mm-hmm. Well, then at twentieth level, you have twenty. You have twenty meta source magic. Of, yeah, meta yeah. magic points. You you can do that multiple turns in a row. Yeah. And at although most people don't play at twentieth level, yeah. Um, that is something I think we all aspire to, whether our yeah. camping gets there or not. Um, it would just be way overpowered to have somebody go, "Hey, meteor swarm, twenty d six. Oh, and guess what? I'm going to do that again." Yeah, right. That's that's just that's too much. But I also do also recognize that it is incredibly disappointing to be like guiding bolt. I miss. Um, that's it, guys. That's all I got. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> that that yeah. is incredibly disappointing as a turn of a spellcaster. It is. Um, 
I think that I think that uh, one thing I'm really excited for whenever I whenever we level up in your campaign is whenever I get to be like a fifth level paladin and like whatever level <laughs> whatever level sorcerer I can be at that time just just two attacks with my paladin and then do oh oops uh, fifth level uh, thunderstep uh, fifth level thunderstep or fifth level lightning bolt and just yeah. do like hundred million points of damage. Yeah. That's yeah, what I'm I mean, it, and and that's and and that should be totally fine and, and amazing. Uh, but uh, you know that 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 is why they limit that to action surge being the only thing that lets you do two leveled spells. And and even that though isn't written anywhere. It's just something that a lot like some tables I've gone to after quite a bit of debate have said. Okay, I don't see why action surge couldn't let you cast another spell. Right, um, Crawford actually answered in on this in his whatever talk that he does online. You, you can look it up. You can find it. And really, basically, what he says is the only rule that keeps you from casting two spells in a turn is the bonus action and action economy. Mm-hmm. Casting a spell is an action, and the way to cast another spell is if it's a bonus spell, you can cast another leveled spell or if, if, if it's a leveled bonus action spell, you can cast a cantrip as well. Uh, but it has to be a cantrip. Yeah. Um, that, that's the that's the caveat to casting two spells in a turn. Right. And then action surge says, but you get two, two actions. You're like, yeah, yeah, you can do that. But here's the really funny thing. If you start off or anywhere in that you plan on casting a bonus action spell, you can't cast anything but a cantrip after that. Yeah. Yeah. So anyway... <laughs> uh, that, that, that was pretty deep on some rules. Yeah, that was some yeah. that was some nitty gritty. Uh, Sorry wanna, for anybody there. Do was like, like a fun like magic item or homebrew yeah, magic I, item. I, or oh, something? I've I've got one. One of my homebrew magic items is it's called the mystical doorknob, and it's just a silvered doorknob. It looks like you accidentally pulled on a doorknob and it popped off in your hand. That uh-huh. happens. Awesome. But it's it's that it's really pretty and it's engraved and it has a, a slight glow of magic about it if you detect magic and when you say the command word, you just kind of hold it out where a doorknob would be and turn it and a door appears and it lets you do either dimension door or interplanar travel. It depends on what level the PCs are. Um, That's really interesting. Yeah. And you know, and you just do that like however many times a day. Yeah, or, you know, like once once a day or twice a day. You right. Know, once, yeah. once, once every sunset. That's yeah. pretty cool. I like that. Yeah, you know, it, it, it's not game breaking. It's not, you know, yeah. it's yeah. not yeah. rules anywhere. And, but and, it's, it's, also, it's, and also, it's flavored nicely. It's also yeah. fun if you're a DM that doesn't like to get bogged down with like travel or something. <laughs> right. It's just like, that's just not something that you, you care about. You, you can't see this, but I'm raising my hand. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's just like, I don't want to, I don't want to deal with that. Or if your players are basically like, I'm, I do not care about travel. Travel mechanics. Yeah, travel. Yeah, that's another homebrew thing too. Is that like is that one thing I think Nadpot does super well? Is that they're like, yeah, we're not going to travel day by day, and you run into like I don't know a rhino roll initiative, right? (laughs) Right. (laughs) Or they're they're like, nope, here's an airship. Go wherever you need to for the story. Like I don't give a shit what you do, man. I don't know. Yeah, I saw I saw a homebrew that was like uh, somewhere on the internet that was just like um, for bags of holding. It's like. Um, I don't care. I, I, I understand that bags holding only hold 500 pounds. I, in my opinion, that bag does not have a limit. I do not care what you put in that bag. Like, right. <laughs> I, I assume yeah. that you're keeping track of that and I do not want to be involved. <laughs> I do not want to know what's inside your bag. <laughs> I do not care. And I, I am not where I do not want to worry about encumbrance. And right. as far as I'm concerned, that bag has no limit. <laughs> and I'm like, yeah. Yeah, I do that's like, fair. I do like the rules of there's only so much air inside a bag of holding, no matter how much stuff you put in it. Because yeah. you, you can get so creative with oh, that. Oh man. Talk about, <laughs> talk about game breaking and and that's the other thing about about homebrew that i'd kind of like to bring up is that either as players or as a game master when you are playing in a game if you come across a rule whether it's drinking a potion in a turn or this cool death razor magic sword that the other person picked up Mm -hmm. or you know the (laughs) the interdimensional flute that you want to give the bard it is perfectly okay to either retcon that or change it on the fly. Mm-hmm. Oh, man. Um, 
And one of the things that I also like to homebrew is stolen almost directly from uh, Steven Erickson's uh, Malazan series is that there's just a metal that messes with magic energies. Mm. And so, uh, you know, if you've got a player character and they're, you know, they've got this, this magic Uber sword or this magic item that, you know, <laughs> I open this bag and I dump out 4,000 zombies, mm-hmm. you know, cool. Right up until you walk up to the guy who has a sword made out of this metal. And then you open up this bag and it's, it's just and, a bag. And nothing comes out. <laughs> nothing comes out. Oh like, man. Oh. It's like, it's like in a way it's like metal kryptonite for different magic. Right. Yeah. It's just like, you got to stay away from these people if you're a spellcaster. Cause within, cause within a 10 foot radius, your magic doesn't work. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Ooh, that's crazy. Writes down. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, I think one of my favorite magic items I've made was for a, was for a ranger that was in one of my campaigns is because when you, when you're a ranger you're you're typically looking to do quite a bit of damage unless like you're trying to be a little weird unless you're trying to do something really funky because rangers are, are are a great way to really explore what okay, all it is. We don't need to get, get on your ranger kink. <laughs> <laughs> They're, okay, are those so, green tights? Are you wearing green tights? <laughs> two pairs, in fact. Yeah, and a tunic. <laughs> I'm Link, guys, and uh, is is a great way to explore odd things. I was going to talk about more, but Kenny doesn't want to hear it. So <laughs> no, I want to hear. I want to hear no. your magic item. I just don't want to hear your Rangers are valid well, <laughs> again because <laughs> they they're not. The item is called. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. We love Rangers. <laughs> the item is called the uh, String of the Mind Piercer, and it goes off of the mind piercing abilities of uh, of Illithids. Um, where it is infused with a uh, psionic energy mm-hmm. that um, three times a day you can ex- you can use a charge from it, um, and you can use it anytime you as many times as you can within a turn uh, to do an extra d6 of psychic damage. If you uh, if you do expel all the charges though, you take three d6 psychic damage. And so you have a limit of about two, unless you want to take that damage yourself, in which case you have three. Interesting. That's and that's nice. a day or that's... That's a, a day. A day. You, you can use it three times a day, but if you do use it three times a day, it hits you back. And it replenishes, it resets basically. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. For, for every 24 our, hours. For all of our intrepid listeners, um, first of all, thank you. Um, <laughs> but, but second, secondly, um, Candy started DMing. Uh, yeah, no. I did. So, so we're going to put you on the spot. What kind of uh, homebrew magic item would would you uh, drop in your game? Um, so I, we did, um, I did create one, um, and it it's not it's not actually an item that will ever be used because. <laughs> well, it's okay. So basically, I so I can. I'll talk about the world a little bit. So basically this is an ultra magic world. So one of the things that I initially homebrewed was the ability to learn wizard spells as any class, because it's something that I homebrewed into backgrounds. So you would have learned magic in your school, like growing up, or you would have learned it in your, in your, in your job and your trade. Like, and it, I limit it, limit it to, um, like cantrips and first level wizard spells initially um and then non-defensive so like mostly utility message um dancing lights dancing lights light things like that which are mostly utility spells but they're not but they're things that like other npcs are going to know you know things that are going to help their trade usually like if if they have a magic shop you know like or if they work as whatever, like they, you would theoretically be able to learn any kind of spell that would help you perform your job better. Just like, just like you can take an Excel course online, you know, it's like, it's like anybody can learn magic. And so I limited it to first level and cantrip wizard spells. Um, so yeah. And for those who are just like fuming in the comments right now, um, imagine uh, mage rights in Eberron. That's the closest to in canon from the book that that's where it's like, yeah, there you go. 
Yeah, it's where, very creative. And where, yeah, where people could just are capable of learning and sentience. <laughs> yeah, and so one of the first uh, the first magic item that I basically homebrewed, Caleb helped me come up with because I it was like literally the first session, and I wanted to have like a a few plot hooks, but basically there was like this woman that had basically created a this she's like an artificer type mage person, and she like makes magic items and they encountered her on a train basically this and this world also has like a really intricate train system um because travel sucks because travel sucks (laughs) Um, so there's an intricate train system they met her on a train and basically like she's going to destroy this item but it had to be uh powerful enough to be sought after not powerful enough for their current level if they wanted to like try to steal it from her or something, but also not so OP that if they had it, it would break the game. So it was a, um, so it was a, a, like a little brooch that had a ruby in it that did, um, what, what, do you remember what it was? Uh, let me look it up. Um, Wait, what are you talking about? Oh, you're talking about the um, the cursed brooch. Yeah, right? so it allows it allows you to cast true sight. Yeah, well, so then, but then it also takes away. No, it allows <laughs> you to cast. It allows you to cast um, detect thoughts, and then you roll a DC to see if you can cast true sight. And so, if you roll a natural twenty, you can, you get to cast true sight. But if you roll a natural one, like a natural one to a natural three, then you age like one d four years, basically. So that's like slap that on my elf. Let's go. Yeah. <laughs> so that, that's like the, that's like the curse. So like if if so, basically, like the hook was that she's she's going to destroy it. She realizes that she messed up, um, so she has to take it somewhere to destroy it. There yeah. was an assassin that was trying to get it because, like, that's a really good item for like a thief to have. Right. Basically, if you can detect thoughts and see invisible yeah. things, like, yeah, so that's awesome. Yeah, yeah. but what, what's another what's another homebrew thing that you that you have, Caleb, to put you on the spot? Another homebrew thing. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Whether it's a magic item or a campaign ooh. change or or just a setting. Uh, let me see here. The setting. Um, Another thing that I like to, while you're thinking. I'm uh, sure. Uh, <laughs> while is, I'm buffering. Is like, I, I've seen this online a few times about like how advantages can't stack. So like oh, every once, yeah, every once in a while, like if a player's like, okay, um, I get advantage because of like what my paladin feature to do whatever. And then you already have advantage because you're flanking. And then like this other player gives you, they were also hit with guiding bolt. Yeah. Yeah. Or something. It's just like, okay, that's, you can add two to your role or whatever. So you, yeah, it's with advantage and plus two. Yeah. yeah, I I like that. Depending on how many buffs like you're getting, you add one or two or whatever. Yeah. Cause naturally if you have a lot of people helping you, you would absolutely have an easier yeah. time hitting than just advantage. Yeah. Because there's nothing more disappointing than having advantage and rolling two threes in a row. Yeah. Right? And I think that's a, that, that's a DM call and how often you want to incorporate that. If that's going to be every time, I feel like your players would probably take advantage of that. If that was something they, and, and if you want them to take advantage of it, then, you know, whatever. But if it's like a little treat. It's one, a little treat. Once, <laughs> once again, that's, that's one of those, uh, my personal opinion is if it's good for the goose, it's good for the gander. And yeah. I'm like, yeah, yeah, you can have that stacking advantage stuff. Yeah. But also anticipate me throwing some things at you that are going to start stacking advantage yeah. on you. you yeah. Get ready for 20 kobolds. <laughs> <laughs> right? And they're all rogues. <laughs> they, all have, they all have gargles of, of uh, sea and darkness and... And uh, poison daggers. And poison sneak daggers. attack. And yeah. Right. So Be one prepared. Of, one, of the, one of the kind of flavory uh, homebrew things that, that I have kind of leaned into recently is... Uh, what I call echoes or vestiges mm-hmm. of magic. So like magic is this powerful energy. And when you cast these spells, it, it just leaves behind an echo of that power. Mm-hmm. And so when people come through, you know, you, you can, you can do an arcana check for detecting magic. 
and if you succeed against the spell DC, and, and this is converse, so the higher level the spell it is that was cast, the easier it is to detect with Arcana. Mm-hmm. And But what you get are these echoes. So like Abjuration, you get this feeling of steel on your fingertips, bitter roots, or the, the sense of hard oaks or bricks, mm-hmm. you know. And that's that's just abjuration in general. But then also, wh- whoever cast it will also have their essence tied up in this. Mm-hmm. So now you can start, you know, uh, driving this kind of narrative about the bad guy that you know his his magic essence is a razor on a straw. Is <laughs> just constantly sharpening this. This range, this razor, it it sounds kind of cool. It's kind of ominous. It sounds a little scary. Like why? Yeah. Why is this guy's essence sharpening a right. straw, no, a razor I, on a straw? I do love that, and I have interacted with that, and like uh, that ongoing mini campaign that we have when it was like where it was like we had to find out like oh this guy's dead and you know our intern was blamed for it, and it was, <laughs> and so it was like so we we cast it. And it was like it was like yeah, this is this this. Magic does not smell anything like you know that Gonk can can cast. <laughs> right? <laughs> did you did you think of a uh, homebrew that you like? Of another homebrew that I like? Um, I mean, there's a lot of different things that I like. Uh, there's one where it's like uh, a spear. It's like the spear of gusts, where it does a, of course, just a, a spear. So the damage for that, and you can, of course, you can add these things to any weapons you have, but like you hit people with it and they need to do and like once a day you can make someone make a dc 12 strength check and if they fail they take that d6 damage they take another d6 of force damage um and and that's no matter what even if they fail i mean even if they succeed but if they fail they are pushed back 10 feet and are knocked prone yeah yeah. Uh, it's, I, it's something to add a little bit of flavor yeah. to a weaker weapon. Yeah, I came up with some other uh, homebrew stuff for stuff coming up in my my new campaign, but I will not share it because Caleb's sitting right here. So what's up? I don't want to spoil anything. Okay. But uh, uh, speaking of spoiling things for campaigns, though, uh, we're gonna go back to the. I think we're gonna return to the subject of. Uh, I know we talked about this a while back. Is is what you should reveal to your players and how to make this collaborative game even more collaborative. Yeah. Should we take a break and then go yeah, back and talk about that? Yeah, yeah. I, I think so. Okay. Before, well, before we do the break, though, or while we're yeah. talking about the break, I, I would like to talk to Candy a little bit about her experience mm-hmm. as Dungeon Master. Okay, oh, yeah. well, maybe, maybe we'll take a break and then we come and talk about my experience Perfect. and then we'll go and do... Yeah. All right, see you guys in a minute. All right. Hey, guys, it's Candy here. And Caleb. And we just want to jump in and say, please subscribe on Apple Podcasts and leave a rating and a review if you like the show. And on Spotify. Don't forget to give us a follow and a download. And follow us on our social medias. Like Twitter at Surge underscore Action. And TikTok and Instagram at Action Surge Pod. Um, leave us a comment or send us an email. Tell us what you guys want to hear next on the pod. And back to the podcast. Okay, welcome back. Uh, so first, let's go ahead and start off talking. We Candy just uh, ran her very first game as a dungeon master. Yeah, it was it was scary. Um, I was really nerve wracking. I had been working on this world for a while, and Caleb was finding like, let's just do it. I have he wanted to play a bard, and my sisters partner also he had also been wanting to play and so we got him and caleb and another friend of ours to humor me you so know in, in this world did you design it big to small or small to big yeah so i did a big to small um i basically created i i created like little things that i want to implement like the magic things and then i kind of built a world around it um like i this world is basically like several large islands like right next to each other that have rivers going through it so basically river travel and train travel are huge and um it's pretty much like a socialist paradise because there's like well like the government is pretty socialized there's basically like um set prices for all goods and they and they uh 
uh, the government basically owns the train system that allows the goods to move through it really quickly. But that also allows, but there's also like a free market, obviously. So like there are big businesses that don't like the regulations that are put in place by the government. So that's kind of like one of the big um, like issues that they're going to see come about and already kind of have. Um, uh, it's it's like an old an existing world that's been the government's been around for like hundreds of years, like over a thousand years. So there's like pre-existing cities that no longer exist. There's been wars um, fought and stuff, but it's been fun. I think Um, I like interacting with the players. It's really scary coming up with NPC uh, accents. What's the most most challenging thing for you? Do you think is it, is it accents? Is it? Um, is it it's definitely on the fly. It's definitely getting whomped by my players <laughs> constantly. Yeah, uh, I can't. I I'm well. I'm nervous about creating an encounter that's too challenging, or or not challenging enough. And so far, they've been not challenging enough, which is okay because I don't want to like kill anybody um, outright. But. So, as as a more experienced game master, Caleb, what what would what would you say would be a uh, what's your advice for a new game master who's struggling with underpowered encounters? Uh, we, we've talked about this before as well when it comes to uh, balancing encounters in that um, CRs make little sense and balancing them between your players is a very delicate art. It, it quite literally is an art to try and have a fun balanced encounter is um, what you think is hard Buff it about 20%. Yeah. Add 20% health, add 20% damage, something like that. Oh, I definitely, like, your guys' most recent encounter, I, like, buffed it, like, doubled. I doubled it. And (laughs) you guys still (laughs) took it out. And, like, and it also, all of them are spellcasters, or, like, halfcasters or more. So there's a paladin, a ranger, and a bard. So they're all, they all have healing. They all have spells and they all have damage so it's yeah. it's definitely like i'm learning that i need to just buff everything would you like twofold would you like my advice on that yes okay so here's here's my meta view of running encounters is that D is set on the premise that you will be running through multiple encounters without arrest mm-hmm. and that's and that's the that's the trick to challenging campaigns, challenging combats. Mm-hmm. Um, so what I tend to do is I tend to, to run my encounters in narrative styles when I'm running longer games mm-hmm. and I have more time to do this. I will hit the players up against just a ridiculous number of mooks. And, mm-hmm. and go ahead, Candy, ask me how many hit points the mooks have. How many? It doesn't matter. Okay. One, hit, <laughs> one hit knocks them down. They're mooks. It doesn't matter whether they're goblins or orcs or stormtroopers. It doesn't matter. One hit knocks them down. But they're still doing their regular attack Mm -hmm. rolls and damage and damaging the PCs. And it just, and because D&D is a game about resource allocation, you know, the players may decide, well, we're going to spend some of our our spell slots on healing. We're going to spend some, this is so, taking so long. I was going to cast Fireball. Mm -hmm. Right. Cool. But they don't know that this is just the first of four. Yeah. Right, the first of and, four encounters. And so then the next encounter is slightly fewer mooks and then a couple of mook bosses. Mm-hmm. And then and those mook bosses, <laughs> they're they're not boss bosses. They're just, you know, lieutenants. They I they wanna... have they have slightly more hit points and they, they drain a little bit more of that resource and you're still casting yeah. healing. And have you had a chance to take a short rest? No, no, you have not. I want a coffee mug that says Mook Bus or World's Best Mook Bus. <laughs> Mook Bus. That's, that's when we come up with merch. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Awesome. Uh, so, yeah. And then, and then finally, that leads to the final boss battle. And the final boss battle, let me tell you what. I, I've played D&D for quite a while. And, really? And I, uh, it's true. <laughs> and I've actually fought against dragons, I want to say six or seven maybe eight times. Mm-hmm. And with the exception of twice that I can think of, they've been incredibly underwhelming. Yeah. You know, yeah. If you walk in on a dragon by yourself, 
at a reasonable level party, even a low level party, yeah, against a reasonable dragon, you're just gonna you're gonna wipe the floor with it. Yeah. So even with dragons with legendary actions, the action economy is different between the number, especially the more players you have uh, against the dragon. So sometimes it's just easy to overwhelm the dragon. Yeah. But dragons shouldn't be alone in their lair. They're always going to be sycophants. I love kobolds for that. That, you know, these, these little kobolds running around in their really ornate robes because these are fancy kobolds because yeah. they work for the boss. Yeah. And <laughs> it's, just, it's just like a series of levels that it's right. like, and you can always add more. Yeah. I think I'm just getting, I think I'm just, and I think it's fine. I think at first it's fine to be underpowered, like to get whomped as a DM. It, it, <laughs> it's funny. And I think that it's good at first. It lets them like level up quicker sure. and gets them a little bit more confident in there. And, and really like what I really, what I want is that, everyone especially like the new player that we have that's never played D before to get to know their player and to understand and he is awesome like he just picked yeah. it up really quickly it's like in like like right when he started talking it was like oh my god <laughs> yeah, and you've been watching podcasts right yeah to podcasts yeah. watching Crow yeah World. it was just kind of like he can't i remember being like uh, I wonder how he's going to do this because a lot of people that are new to D and D, they come in and they're like, and they're like, I don't know how to do an accent or how to role play or any of this. It's all new to me. What do I do? But he came in with it's just just this this a, a, this a funny accent, <laughs> a, an established character, and you know, it's like a little rough around the edges with combat. But like he'd never done combat before, so yeah. like that's kind of like my intention going forward is focus on like getting everyone that's doing their character for the first time to know how their action economy works and then and then also um you know i like i like creating puzzles and incorporating puzzles he liked puzzles and so i think oh, more more encounter based stuff that isn't necessarily combat yeah um but do we well, want to move into yeah, last... well, i just say congratulations yeah. on your, yeah. on your Thanks. Game. Congrats. Yeah, awesome. it's, it's fun i like it i like my little world and yeah keep We'll keep us posted. Yeah, I'll, I'll keep everyone posted. Okay, so we're going to move on to the last little bit. We're going to talk about, once again, D&D communication. But this this time, specifically, DM slash player collaboration. We, yeah. we talked about that before, but, you know, Caleb was a little resistant, I think. I was. I was very much like, because <laughs> he was, was like, I will draw knives. It was all based on this TikTok that was like, that was like, that was like, you know, tell your players your secrets. Do it. It'll make your world so much easier. And, of course... We have this, something that I've come up with, which is the fetishization of secrets within D&D &D mm -hmm. and within storytelling in general, where it's like, where it's like, oh, if I don't have everything be the secretest of secrets, that I'm not going to have a compelling story or a fun You game. have the great reveal. Right. Yeah. It's all about this thing of the great reveal to my epic story, because it's yeah. my story as the DM, but it's when you really get into it and it's like, yes, surprises are nice. They're always going to be underwhelming, though. But whenever you worry about the yeah, whenever you worry about them too much, there is nothing more defeating as a DM, where you have this big reveal and people don't understand it or simply do not care. Right, <laughs> that's very disappointing. So then, it is how do you get people to care? Well, first off, in life, you you can't. <laughs> but <laughs> but but in in D and D, that is from what I've discovered and have pretty much completely changed my mind on. Is is uh, Whoa, something that, that 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 Greg calls yeah. uh, essentially, you know, player driven narrative, where you as the DM work with players one or two at a time to help them be really connected to a certain part of the story that you were all at the table trying to tell in order to better go forward with the narrative yeah. sure. and the other players don't need to know you're coordinating or or know that you're coordinating, but they like, need to know but everything. like. And but course, they, but they don't know what you're talking about, right? Of course, of course. There's you know, as a DM, you're going to have this overarching narrative mm -hmm. that that you kind of envision for the campaign. That's just part and parcel of DMing. Sure, and you're going to have your secrets that you know that you're not going to tell them that are just going to come out a little at a time that are going to yeah. go. Oh, you know, it's all coming together. Yeah, right. And like one of the one of the things that I did like before I started my campaign was I asked each of the players individually, privately, like how much involvement do you want in your backstory? Do you want this to be a like 
you want me to come up with everything and and like fill you in on it or do you want to be surprised or like do you want to collaborate and every every single person said I want to collaborate I want to be a collaborator I want to know and like that's perfectly fine because I don't want to have to come up with everything you know and I want to incorporate things that you as a player want to do and it's not always the DMs like the DM doesn't always know I want to be I want to be complicit in your D&D crimes candy yeah right (laughs) yeah I think obvious downside to this kind of interactive uh, player DM collaboration is sometimes you get players that are just not open. They don't, you may as a DM reach out to them. Has anybody had that experience where you've reached out to a player and, or maybe a group of players and you just get, it's, it's just an absolute wall of, Oh, I don't care. You can do what you want. And it's just like, you, you sit there and you think, who hurt you? <laughs> like, and like, and like, uh, how do you convince someone to, here's the thing, as we talked about with Tasha's and the social contract that is, that is sitting at a table uh, and DMing is that DM, like, like true good D&D to me takes in a million pounds of trust and convincing your players to trust you is so very hard especially when you don't know them as well as you probably should, or like, you know, them from campaigns past, but you know, in the COVID world, you don't know them beyond that because there's not really a way to do that. Mm-hmm. Um, and how to approach that is so delicate because then it goes from dungeon master to player to whenever they're stonewalling you to friend to friend, you know, Hey, is everything going on? All right. I really want to work with you to make this game worth coming to on a Monday night. Right. Or Tuesday night or right. Friday night. Because or... I know as a player, there's nothing worse than going, oh, I don't know if I'm looking forward to this three hours of my night being spent. Right. Right. Yeah. It always has to be value added. I think my experience with that is that when I reach out to players uh, and I get very little back, I'm like, you know, hey, so, how, you know, how, how does Damien Darkstar, how do you see him interacting with this next campaign story? Uh, I don't know. I don't know. Kill things, I guess. All right. Well, cool. So then when I feel like I didn't get a good response back or maybe, you know, they didn't know what I was wanting or what I wanted for them, I will come back at that again, but I will limit it to a certain number of choices. Hey, okay. So this is the next arc of the story. And I've got kind of three roads that Damon Dark sword go down is he going to uh is he going to delve into his emotional baggage from his backstory here or are you going to befriend somebody who may or may not uh, break that trust Mm -hmm. is that something you would be interested in in pursuing or are, are you interested in you know maybe developing an npc maybe you've I mean, I, I've, I've got an encounter where maybe you could find an owlbear cub mm-hmm. and, and, you know, that could be something that you may want to raise. Is that interesting to you? Which of these three options do you think yeah. makes you feel, you know, and then you get that kind of feedback. And once you kind of develop those baby steps of communications, then it becomes a little easier, I think, the next time to come and say, okay, now we're starting a new arc, you and baby Rufus, the owlbear, are <laughs> working. Adorable. <laughs> adorable baby Rufus. Uh, he was adorable right until he broke into that orphanage and ate a couple kids. It's Still not a big cute. deal. Not a big deal. Not a big deal. He's an orphan, too. He's just processing his own trauma. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I think I think that I think the more that we talk about it and the more that, like, uh, I don't know, that it's presented as an option, like, I feel like if just try, just try the collaborating with your, with your DM and your players and say, Hey, I want to do this with my character and I want this to be the course that they run or, or vice versa and say, Hey, I really want help with your character as a DM. I want to know what you want to do. Just try it and see how much happier and engaged your players are in the game. Yeah. And now let me flip the, Oh, I'm sorry. No, but this, this, and this is a, a warning communication between people is hard. Like <laughs> it, so it, it, it was even harder is coming 
to terms with the fact that you might have made a mistake. Mm-hmm. That you somewhere in in your DMing or in your playing may have, may have made the table not very fun for some people. Or like, because I was approached recently when I was doing this thing, we're hashing out really how can we get this character and this character to be involved. And we were talking, Greg's actually one of them, and the character because these two characters are from the same city and we're in an arc in that city of how can we get this to where uh, it's going to be, you know, maximum fulfillment, like, um, and maximum, like, essentially care into what is going to be happening in these next few episodes. And I was approached with a with a thing of, I think it's better for us all to collaborate because sometimes when uh, someone isn't reaching out, you don't know what to do for them and you just throw them a bone. Like they never asked for that bone to be thrown. Yeah. And it's, it's so, that. and it's so crazy to think about of, Oh, I threw you something for you. Me a backstory. You should be thanking me. Cause I thought of you, you but it's be, like, but it's like bowing at my feet. Yeah. But, but instead it's, it's, you know, it's that rebellion <laughs> teenager in you where that goes, I never asked for this dad. Right. Of like, <laughs> I didn't ask to be born. And, I don't want a bone. <laughs> and, and then, and then I remember thinking, Oh wait, this has happened to me before where someone threw me a bone that I never asked for. And was like, it was completely underwhelmed as a player. Mm-hmm. And I remember thinking, wow, this, kind of sucks <laughs> and, yes. and you know and, and, and you have to realize okay i've made a mistake how can we move forward and so far it's been some of the best dm planning i have had ever in the past couple weeks mm-hmm. and let me and let me flip the script here real just as we wrap this up but you know the, right now we're kind of talking from the game master's perspective but you know when you sit down at a table, it's one DM and usually more players. So <laughs> usually more four, players, usually five, four, five, seven, seven, seven yeah. twelve. You yeah. know, it's a, so you just you know there, there are a lot more players, mm-hmm. and so as players of Dungeons and Dragons, please advocate for communication with your DM. Yeah. Hey, I would like. Hey Gary, you know, great game. I had a really good time. I really appreciate that bone you threw at me that I didn't want. Um, but, uh, maybe, I just wanted to let you know that I'm a vegetarian, so I don't eat bones. That's Uh, a, my, it was in my, it was in my lizard man's backstory. I'm a vegetarian, vegetarian. lizard. It's, it's, it's a thing. Um, Google it or, or don't, um, (laughs) but, uh, no, seriously, have a discussion with your DM. Ease into it. You know, I look, I know that DMing is really hard and there's a lot that goes into this. If there is some way that I could help drive this story, I would be glad to discuss with you upcoming arcs yeah. that I will know about, but my character will not. Yeah. And that's, that's, that's tough for some people, but you know, yeah. but to yeah. be able to kind of separate that player knowledge to yeah. character knowledge. And I think that, that, there's a difference between spoilers or spoiling surprises that and in collaboration. I don't I don't know everything about whatever character and like like for example Caleb doesn't know everything that I have planned for like his character in my campaign, but like if he wants to incorporate something like or or doesn't like a certain direction that I have planned for him or something, he can always come to me and we can talk about it and I think that, you know, in the, in the words of MC Hammer, collaborate and listen. You know? <laughs> I don't know if I, you know, I, that, you know, just um, like you gotta, you gotta. I'm, I'm, I'm going to jump in here and say, that's vanilla ice. Vanilla ice. <laughs> <laughs> I thought it was MC Hammer. What's that MC Hammer song? What is the MC Hammer? It doesn't matter. Um, uh, stop. Collaborate and listen. Yeah. Ice is back on a brand. I'm sorry. <laughs> you, you'd, you'd know this if in the days of yore you were listen i rocking the bar i, the I was born in 1996 nights. okay i don't know anything I'm just, I'm just gonna sit over here and desiccate slowly into a lich because um, you for some reason still have the the essence of vanilla ice I'm, in your soul i'm Greg. cutting i'm cutting all of this out <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, and then in the words of uh, ice tea, vanilla is, ice. Vanilla ice. <laughs> Jesus, Candy. <laughs> oh, please leave this. <laughs> collaborate and listen. Um, uh, I think we got to work from the yeah, podcast. I think, collaborate and listen. You yeah. are right. Yeah. Um, it, it, once again, guys, it's it's just <laughs> it's going to be. <laughs> 
it's going to be difficult to talk to people because it always is to break out of your shell and be able like, how can we make this amazing game even better? And, and, and yeah. more heads yeah. is better than one, and I think that's yeah. just kind of the, the bottom line, especially in a collaborative game. Like the yeah, game and and DMs, all my love to you out there, guys. You don't need to put all the pressure on yourself, oh. but it's a trust thing. You got to show people and make them feel you know welcome to talk to you, and of course, don't feel bad when people just don't take you up on that either. Sometimes that just happens, and it's yeah. hard. But I mean, you know, all you can do is be open. Yeah, I mean, I think that's a good point to end on yeah um, too. all right well um, well uh you know follow our twitter what is it our our twitter yeah it's we're gonna start surge surge underscore action yeah and then our instagram and our tiktok is action surge pod um you know you can follow us there for weekly updates and and for little snippets from each episode of you know what we're talking about. This one might be just us talking about Vanilla Ice. Yeah. <laughs> or MC Hammer. Yeah, uh, yeah. And go and check out all the other small pods too. They're just, they're just, uh, floating around out there. They're just floating around out there. Cause you know, there's a lot of great content out there. It's the golden uh, age of D and D guys. Yeah. yeah. All right. Well, we'll see you next week. Bye guys. Bye everybody.